Welcome back to another episode of To Be Honest. It's been a while since I released an episode as I've been preoccupied with some transition in my life as well as preparing to have my son. So I'm going to try to get as many episodes out as I can before he gets here because once he does get here, I'm going to be taking a break from everything else in my life to focus on just being a mom. So I'm very, very excited for that season of my life that I've wanted for so long. And now that is right around the corner. But today I'm having a guest on named Jerry Armelli. Jerry Armelli is the director and founder of Design and Intent Ministries in Cincinnati, established in 1986. In the 35 plus years of Design and Intent Ministries, many people have experienced the transforming power of God in their sexual identity, feelings, and behaviors. Design and Intent Ministries provides counseling, information, support groups, mentoring, educational seminars, and prayer to same-sex attracted persons seeking sexual purity and relational wholeness. A vital role of Design and Intent Ministries is training and equipping the church and community on aspects of homosexuality from a biblical perspective. Jerry has taught extensively and his testimony has been heard internationally. His teaching experience includes international conferences like Gordon College, Trinity University, Point Loma, Nazarene University, Asbury Theological Seminary, University of Toronto, and Focus on the Family's Love One Out Conference. Cable services to 22 European countries with an estimated 55 million subscribers have heard Jerry's story. Additionally, he has spoken on the campuses of Purdue University, Indiana Wesleyan, and Cincinnati Christian University. Jerry lives in Cincinnati with his wife, Mia, and they have a daughter and a son-in-law. Before we begin today's episode, I wanted to be very clear that this episode specifically talks about those individuals who are battling the feeling of same-sex attraction, but feel like deep down they are really supposed to be heterosexual because that is their design and intent. And maybe they're dealing with these feelings because they've experienced something in their life or a pain that has not yet been dealt with. This is why Jerry's ministry exists. It exists for those who are not comfortable with who they are. So I believe that the response of the church should always be love, should never be rejection. Why are people walking away from the church and turning to the world to find acceptance and community? It's it's backwards. The church should always be ready and willing to walk people through whatever it is that they're facing. I believe that love does not dilute the truth, it empowers it. So love doesn't dilute truth, it empowers it. I hope that you listen to today's episode in its entirety and that you find it helpful. And this is yet again another episode that you may not want the kids in the backseat for. I'm really excited about today's episode. Um, This is actually an episode that I've wanted to do for a while, an episode that I've wanted to shed light on for a while, but I wanted to have somebody on who could offer a lot more wisdom and insight Mm. than I can um, on this topic. So thank you, Jerry, 
for being with us today, um, for saying yes to being on this episode. I actually told my husband a couple months ago, I thought, man, how great would it be to have Jerry on? You know, and then I was going through the papers in, in my desk a couple weeks ago, and I saw the packet from a training that I attended that you did. And your information was there. And I thought, well, I'm going to reach out. And I'm 34 weeks pregnant now, you know. So I'm like, maybe we can sneak an episode in somehow. Um, But I appreciate you being on today's episode. And I know I kind of gave an overview of what it is that you do. But um, could you explain a little bit more about what you do and why you do it? Sure. Thanks for having me. Um, I appreciate the invitation on such a hot topic and misunderstood topic and all that stuff because I I like to share the good news and um, bring bring that good news in a hopeful way, in a truthful way, full of of grace and full of love. Yes. Um, So the mission of Design and Intent Ministries, the ministry that I direct that's been in existence for, this is our 36th year, actually. I'm one of the founders with two other gentlemen 36 years ago. Um, The mission is um, we are a discipleship and counseling ministry that supports uh, men and women with same-sex attraction or transgender identities or gay identity um, that are pursuing sexual purity and relational wholeness according to God's word and what's seen throughout creation. Mm -hmm. Would you be able to share a little bit about your story and kind of what led you to where you are now, um, why you're so passionate about helping people um, who have been through what you've been through, mm. um, just a little bit about where where you've come from. Sure, yeah, and I'll start with the second half of that question then go back to my story, but kind of like, my, maybe it's kind of like what came out of the story was um, that I was fully aware that there were hundreds and thousands of men and women acquiescing to an identity and behaviors and feelings because they had no idea of the hope that comes through a dynamic relationship with Jesus, mm-hmm. that transformation that could come, that's possible. Right. Um, because I was in that place without, with very, very confused and feeling very, very hopeless. I had this same-sex attraction, and um, I investigated the gay community with it, like embracing a gay or going with a gay identity. So I had the same-sex attraction. Was it going to go gay with that same-sex attraction? And when I investigated the gay community, I didn't find anything that I wanted, mm-hmm. nothing that I wanted except there was an understanding that I was with people that had the same feelings I did and the same struggle or all the all that comes with it that was the basically only comforted thing but i realized so there was like an acceptance of right you yeah. know it's like you know like pregnant mothers being with pregnant mothers right. you're just like oh there's a bond yeah whereas you talk with the you know with other people they don't quite get it yeah they can you know so i was with my people mm-hmm. in a sense but everything that it offered or that i sought. I didn't see it ending anywhere. I didn't see it good or right. So there I was stuck with these feelings. So I was very hopeless. And then I met Jesus mm-hmm. as a living, active person. And um, I wanted to follow him and pursue him. 
And so being a Christian then and same-sex attracted, it was like, where, where are my people now? Right. Because it was either you, you have same-sex attraction, the only thing that you can do is go gay with that. That's mm-hmm. it. And this is what gay is. Or you have to go in the closet. And I was like, I, I can't do that. I'm, you know, I, I, I can't go back into denial about mm-hmm. my same-sex attraction. So there was this compel- compulsion with myself and the two other gentlemen that founded Design Intent Ministries to offer support for men and women who were same-sex attracted, pursuing holiness and relational holiness. And so that's, we were birthed out of that. We knew there was many people that wanted to follow Jesus and were same-sex attracted or trans-identified that were pursuing more in him. Amazing, amazing. So you, how old, which, and we'll get into a little bit more of this as the episode goes on, but how old would you say you were when you kind of began to feel like you were, you were struggling with same-sex attraction? What was that journey like from this age to this age and then... Okay, now I've decided I want I want more. I want something different. Yeah, probably the feelings of same-sex attracted began of, of being yeah homoerotic. I'll say were at the time of puberty, mm. and or shortly after that it was homoerotic. Now before that, there was what I call homoemotional. I would say an inordinate homoemotional drive. Um, I sensed, knew that I was different from other boys. Now, hear me on that, that there was differences in personality from the males around me and differences in interest than the males around me, Mm -hmm. i.e. my father and my three brothers. They had interest in sports and competitiveness and I say they were grunters, mm-hmm. um, they didn't, and, and my father, the coach, and all that. So I didn't have similar interests as them, nor the personalities. I was social. I was a peacemaker. I was creative. I loved the beautiful. I loved community and communication and all those things. So this already, I knew there was a difference mm-hmm. in their in, interests and personalities. I didn't identify it as just interests or personalities. I identified it with my gender. Okay. That I was wrong as a boy or different as a boy or strange. And I would get real rejection from them, not only the siblings, but peers, because I wasn't typical of the males around me. So I got real rejection from them, the teasing, the mocking, the further rejection. Then I came back at that with then, well, I'll reject you. I'll Mm -hmm. hate you. I'll stay away from you. Um, I'll down what you do. So I started giving it back to them. So there was this them rejecting of me, me rejecting of them. The only other gender that's available to have relationship is with the opposite gender. So I started more identifying with females than males because males were viewed as hurtful to me. Mm -hmm. And and quite frankly, the opposite of me. I felt, I I had a dialogue in myself, I I felt so feminine in comparison with their masculinity that um, I, I felt more feminine. Yeah. Because I was so different from them. But yet... I identified with females because they were caring, they were social, they were creating things, they were peacemakers. And so I found very much a comfortableness in with the females mm-hmm. and not with the males. Yeah. So then I, you know, then, as I said, I became more attracted to the opposite sex because I felt so different from them. Yeah. 
And um, so that was a bit of my stories. Yeah. You know, I I give the illustration to as cooties, so ever straights or people that have never been attracted to same sex. Ever straights? Ever straights (laughs) or never bins. We call it ever straights or never bins. Oh, man. Um, That you remember perhaps that stage of cooties, that boys had cooties. So the girls would run to the girls and say, you belong here. Yes, I belong here. We're familiar. We're da da da. And the boys would kind of go, look at the girls and go, oh, they're so ugh. Uh. Right. You belong here with the boys. I belong here with the boys. That's homo emotional. That's an identifying with your own gender group. Whereas I never got that. I got a rejection from my own gender group and I rejected them. But the females accepted me and say, you belong, you're like us, we won't hurt you. So it was like this stage of homo-emotional that was legitimate for all of us that mm-hmm. we passed through. But I didn't pass through. So um, then there was that you know cooties cute, thing going on. I was then at that same age, about 11, molested by a a boy a little older than I that was all those things that rejecting me and all those things that I was rejecting was molesting me. So it was very, very confusing. But I also came to some conclusions like, oh, this is how I fit into boys. This Mm -hmm. is how I belong. This is how I'm accepted. This is this is my purpose with mm-hmm. with boys or something. But it was very confusing because I also knew it was shame-filled. It was hidden. It was not talked about. It was, you know, done in hiding. So I know that at that point that the homo-emotional that was legitimate became homoerotic for me. That was one of the things. Puberty and the sexualizing of same-sex relationships. And that isn't everybody's story, but I know it was my story. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew my heart had this homo-emotional need, and when puberty kicked in, that's the libido that says, I want to connect with another person, you know, physically. Right. So my, my libido was saying, taking this heart condition of homo-emotional and saying, ah, I have these legitimate homo-emotional needs that have never been met. I'm going to use this homo-libido, this homo-erotic, to try to get my needs met. Mm-hmm. And at that point, the homo-emotional became homo-erotic. And then the feeling of difference came even further. They're like, oh my gosh, if boys knew I was thinking these things or feeling these things, they'd really reject me. I better pull away from them more. Stuck with girls. They noticed my identifying with females more in effeminacy, in characteristics and all that. So I got more rejection. So it was all just intensifying as puberty, my teen years, went in that the homo-emotional became homoerotic. That makes so much sense to hear that because I feel like you're as somebody who doesn't struggle with that you're able you can recognize that but then there's that confusion of okay well you have so many female friends so you like women but you are attracted to men and there's a, there's a lack of understanding there Correct. and so that's why that was that's the intent of today's episode is i just want to um I want to know how we as a church can do better, capital mm-hmm. C, um, as, as leaders, as pastors, as siblings, as friends. Um, I think a lot of well-intended churches have tried to tackle this issue and have tried to help people. However, it's very challenging to help somebody with something that you don't have an understanding of. Yes. And so I believe if we're going to be a church and a people that are about all people— then um, 
a key to that is education. Right. A and key to that is understanding. Understanding, and then that leads to compassion. Right. Which then leads us in there. And and this is my narrative. Yes, it's very familiar to hundreds, thousands that have passed through design and intent ministries. But other people come to a different conclusion about their same-sex attraction and make sure. different decisions about it. But this is my narrative, and I know that I speak for hundreds, if not thousands more, that have been through this ministry, that they have a similar narrative to this, or, or have come to the conclusion that there are these causes that have contributed to their same-sex attraction, along with the contamination of, this, of sin, period that yeah. we're all contaminated with, that we're all born with, that this is just another symptom of the fall. Sure. Of the condition of our, our broken, sinful condition that we live in this world and the flesh and the devil. They're all here, and we have to contend with those. So, right. Yeah. So what do you feel like, and I know you kind of already mentioned a little bit of this, but what do you feel like are some events that could occur in someone's life or their adolescence that may lead them to... Um, same-sex attraction or may lead them to feel like, you know, I was born a girl, but I'm actually a boy. Um, what are some events that, that would happen that would cause somebody to begin to think that way, especially at a young age, like mm-hmm. like you were at a young age? Yeah. Let's first get a visual of a constellation of stars. So if we look up at the sky, there's just huge, vast of stars and all that. That's where I like to say is... The, the is like the contributing factors to the development of a same-sex attraction. Mm. It's this issue and this, and you pull this one out, and for someone else it's this one and this one, for someone else it's this one and this one, so it's all different. So, and each individual is to identify for themselves what may be those contributing things. But we always come to the common denominator as Christians that there's a sin brokenness that lives within all of us Mm -hmm. and that we're all going through a sanctification process in our relationships, in our identities, in our sexuality. Mm -hmm. All of those are called to that same place. And some individuals find a great comfort and great insight and a great agent to find what are those contributing factors. So I'm going to say they're different for everybody and they're up to the individual to pick those. But they are things like disidentifying with uh, the masculine their masculine group beginning mm-hmm. with their father their siblings and then their peers that could compound through each three of those sets of relationship now someone could just have the broken relationship with their father but they have strong with their siblings and strong with their peers and so they they don't develop the same sex attraction perhaps sure um it could be the molestation thing. It could be the rejection. And it and it depends, too, how they, they process it because it might get filtered into their gender identity or their sexual identity. Or in a healthy way, they could say that person has the problem. Uh, there's nothing wrong with me. They're broken. They were wrong to call me that name or do that thing to me. They, they have the capability to process it but others don't, particularly at certain ages within children. You know, they have a capability of rational, logical behavior to know why things are happening to them or not happening to them or what's going on. So it's very varied. Um, The woundings against someone, the one's own conclusions and decisions they come to out of those experiences and event, and, of course, 
Satan has a play in this. Right. Our flesh has a play in this. You know, the development, the, the, the years of sexual, um, the libido kicking in, mm-hmm. you know, the sexual awaken, what woundings happens at that age and how deep. Um, so it, it's very varied. I don't know if I sure. want to get more into specifics. But. Yeah, and I think um, even just the exposure now that young people have mm-hmm. is so different. Mm-hmm. I mean, even from when I was little, you can have pornography on your phone. So for kids who are 11, 12, 13, it's, it can be in their back pocket at all times. And so even maybe just seeing something can lead to that sexual confusion, would you say? of Absolutely. Of, well, what's happening here? Is that normal? Is that how I should feel? Is is that how I am? Um, but I think, I think so many times you see parents or you know a dad who is thinking oh i if i see my son playing with a barbie doll mm. then they're going to you know they're going to turn out mm. gay or they're going to end up gay and it's like it's a little deeper than that it's connected to something that's that's deeper it's rooted in something that that is deeper than that and so that is very helpful just to kind of know True, why. and media like never before, social media like never before. And again, I've been with this ministry for 36 years, so I've seen a lot of things through those three decades. Uh-huh. But certainly media is playing a lot into youth's confusion. Yeah. Because they're having thoughts or feelings or experiences, whether it be their menstrual cycle or their growing breasts, and they're uncomfortable with that. Social media or someone out there, maybe an adult who's adult, whatever, that doesn't know about how sensitive the development of sexuality and human relationship and they give trite and pat answers for teens and what they're going through might say, oh, that's because you're, you're, you're probably supposed to be a boy. You probably don't mm-hmm. like being a girl because you don't like this menstrual cycle or you're growing breasts and right. you're very uncomfortable with it. Right. And so it begins to plant seeds or yes. buffet them. Now, not that one thing can cause that, but things that teens you read through social media or see through social media awakens things in them that were never supposed to be awakened or thoughts that were never right. supposed to be thought or that are guided in a wrong way. Right. Like I often say, it's so trite and pat, the the answers that the culture is giving when human sexuality, human identity, human yeah. relationships are much more complex than the trite, pat answers that are given to our youth and, wow, and yeah. adults today. Yes, yes. Um, what what would you say are some things that are not helpful to do and say um, when someone tells you that they are gay, that they are lesbian, that they are trans? So whether mm. you are a pastor, a leader, a friend, whether you're a parent um, of, of a young person or any type of age group of person that is telling you this, um, what are some things that are not helpful or even things that people think are going to be helpful, but they are just not? How mm-hmm. can we communicate mm-hmm. the right message? Mm-hmm. Well, starting off with some things that are not helpful is treating homosexuality as the worst. Mm. Is like when we give the examples of the bad culture in the world, we always throw in the gay thing or the lesbian thing or the trans. It's like it's the worst. It's the exa- the hugest example of how bad everything's out there. It's it's and but yet we don't talk about 
food, or we don't talk about money right. in those things, right. or the other big buffet yeah. <laughs> of sin options Anything that people are using to fill their soul with that is not Jesus to try to be fulfilled or, yeah. Right. Anything that we don't use the way God intended uh-huh. or designed, and our Creator says this is how we're designed and mm-hmm. this is what it's tended for. He, so he gives the do's and don'ts for it. So, right. But this isn't the worst um, that. Um, I think, uh, yeah, speaking derogatorily or as the enemy, mm-hmm. that's not helpful, you know, for people with same-sex attraction that are there. That just says even more, don't talk about this to anybody, hide. And secrecy is the biggest killer of all. Yes. Isolation yes. with whatever is the Absolutely. biggest killer of all. Mm-hmm. So thinking as the worst and they're the enemy is not good. And to those who are gay identified or trans identified, that doesn't isn't welcome welcoming either. Mm-hmm. I want trans identified and gay identified within my local church, within my church body, right. to hear the word of God yes. and rub as with people. Yes. So this doesn't make it really welcoming. I think part of it too is a subtle one, but it's not value valuing single life. Mm. in the body of Christ. Sure. There really has to be a look at our theology of singleness and and the purpose in the body of Christ yeah. for the singleness um that yeah, just a look at that whole thing, I think. I agree with that too because I think there's so much there's such an emphasis on marriage and family and then you've got this whole people group who are single and who feel like their whole goal of uh, in life is to end up mm. married. And, but what is the season in between? You know, how can we be more inclusive of that? I completely agree. Yeah, right. Um, and some will remain single for their life, perhaps because of their same sex attraction. It never goes away or resolves or neutralizes or something like that. What, where are they in the body of Christ? We have yeah. to look at that seriously. So just ignoring the struggle that there may be an ongoing struggle just like other things with food struggles that people Mm -hmm. have that are chronic things or money things. Why cannot a struggle with the same-sex attraction perhaps be a chronic struggle for everybody? And how do we handle, how do we treat, how do we welcome, how do we weave them into the body of Christ? Uh, You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I think oversimplifying the same-sex or the gay experience, you know, just a choice. Oh, they just need to stop. I just need to find someone right. of the opposite sex, you know. Yeah. It's an oversimplifying one. Again, it's a complicated sexual identity and gender identity. I think those are the things that are really helpful that we need to look at. Yeah. Have you, do you feel like you've seen um, an emerging number of of young people specifically who are confused about their gender because of how the world is like has a megaphone right now saying you choose your identity you figure out who you are or you may not be you know the sex that you were born as and that's okay and everything that is on social media right now have you seen like an uprising of of numbers and young people absolutely in the last several years or so there's been the greatest influx of calls from parents um, regarding teens mm-hmm. and their sexuality and their gender identity. Um, and nothing's changed except this World Wide Web and the Internet um, that we right. see as a, a significant contributing factor. Yes. 
Yes, yeah. for Just sure. It's a, a seduction kind of thing, a seducing. Right, like mm-hmm. an en- yes, an enticing mm-hmm. and alluring mm-hmm. at a vulnerable time. Do you personally personally believe that there are people who identify with the LGBTQ plus community that are completely content and do not wish they could change? So, meaning. They would say, I don't struggle with mm-hmm. this. This is who I am. I'm happy. I don't have trauma in my life that needs to deal with. I don't have confusion in my life that need that needs dealt with. I'm I'm completely content and happy. Do you believe like truly believe that there are mm-hmm. those people out there? We are for those individuals who are not comfortable, who, as I say, the world wants to say, okay. Um, you know, I know I was born a man and I've acted like a man and I've been with a woman and I have kids, whatever, but deep down inside of me, I feel like I'm supposed to be a mm. woman. And the culture says, you're right, go for it. Go, you know, pursue your womanness. Mm-hmm. But if other individuals who were gay had gay sex, gay relationships, identified that way, very comfortable, they say, you know what, but deep down inside of me, I think I'm supposed to be heterosexual. That's really my design and my intent. The culture says, stop that. No, you right. can't do that. You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to hurt other people. That's wrong. Mm-hmm. I, 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 don't under, I don't get that. Yeah. You know? So I'm saying we're for those individuals that deep down inside, for whatever reason, faith reasons, reoccurring issues of the past, repeated failed relationships, want for a traditional family, whatever the reason they're coming for, they deeply desire to be heard in their pursuit of a, a, their, as they would say, their deep down sexual identity or their design and intent. But can some be satisfied, happy? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Fine. We're not for those individuals, and sure. we're not against those individuals. Yes. Yes. We're for the freedom of choice that God gives us, and this great country gives us. So the individuals pursuing, as we call it sexual purity and relational holiness were for those individuals. Yes, because everybody's story is different. Everybody's background is different. Everybody comes from a different, you know, way of life and a way of thinking. And so I love that. We're for those people who are feeling like this is not what I want or they're Mm -hmm. not happy. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. And I have gay identified family members and neighbors and friends that I have a loving relationship with. Yeah. It's not like they're disqualified sure. either from relationship or looked down upon. It's that they're a value just like yes. my other, all my neighbors are. That's yes. Tough. Yes. I have, I have gay friends who I still will, will talk to and I, I love them and they're, you know, a, a part of my life. And, yes. um, and so I feel like, it, you know, within the church specifically, this is an issue that the church has tried to, to tackle and to deal with mm-hmm. and leaders. So what do you feel like should be the first response of of a, a church or a leader when you have somebody come forward and they say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with this, but I still want to, like, I... I want to sing on stage or I want to, you know, I want to mm-hmm. be a part of serving or, mm-hmm. and, you know, as a church, obviously you, you love these people, you welcome, and that should be the response of the church, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but how, as a leader, would you navigate through mm-hmm. a situation like that? So let's 
you know, kind of separate for a second, just being a parent or being a friend mm-hmm. um, in church. church leadership. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think the first thing that needs to happen is, is an old prayer of St. Francis of Assisi as a, as a raised a Catholic boy myself. And in that it says, seek to understand versus be understood. Mm-hmm. So when somebody comes out to you, says they're gay or trans or attracted to the same sex or they're homosexual, whatever it may be, ask a lot of questions. What does that mean? Mm. Because we have ideas in our head that if they say the word gay, that means just this. Or if they say that means this or something. So it's like to know where this person's coming from. That to say, if they're saying they're gay, um, do, do they mean they... They're embracing of this thing. They want this. They want me to bless it. They want me to, you know, help them embrace a gay identity and help foster gay relationships. Do they mean that? Or do they just mean I feel attracted to the same sex, mm. you know, and what do they want to do with that? So it's a lot of questions to find out where they're at. And depending on where they land in that may depend on the response. Like they're saying, well, my, my, my wife, and this is a female talking, my wife and I want to serve in the church in the nursery or something mm-hmm. like that. The church has to pray and get together with their elders and their pastor and ask themselves, what are we about mm-hmm. and how do we respond to this? Yeah. So I put that up with the local church of how they're going to respond to an individual who says they're same-sex attracted or they're gay identified and a Christian or just gay identified or in a marriage or... It's like you treat them case by case, Mm -hmm. but depending on their response is how the church needs to respond, perhaps. Is that good enough, Celeste? Yes, yes, that's that's very helpful. And I think you're you're exactly right. It's it's probably gonna be different from church to church. So when you do talk about the church capital C, you're talking about every church, you know, the body of Christ, the response to that is it is gonna be different. But I love what you said about seeking to understand to understand mm-hmm. and not necessarily to be understood. Well, this is what yeah. we think this you is know what that's we- wrong. You know, right, you, right, this. Right. you know, we're going to, uh, yeah. like, no, no, no. Yeah. Cause it's not enough Hear to, them. right. It's not enough to tell people, especially now in 2022, it's not enough to tell people, well, just do this because the Bible says, right. Well, they don't, a lot of people don't care, you know, about that. Like they are dealing with their own thing or they're, why would I do what the Bible says when I, but they're obviously coming to you, which might be one of the first responses is thank you for sharing this. This is not a surprise. This is, I expect this other people, it's normalize it in the body of Christ that people deal with it and so and thank them. And how can I help? And, you know, sure. Um, are there, resources that you feel like the church could offer or even maybe a parent who might be listening um, would be able to offer to their to their child or you know uh, a pastor would be able to offer to someone in their congregation obviously if you are near Cincinnati Ohio you know yeah. this is an incredible resource you are an incredible resource mm. um, but is there any other resource that you, um, would offer to somebody. Yeah, we're glad to be a resource to other churches to filter in because we have once a week support groups for persons same-sex attracted. We have four groups a month for loved ones. That's primarily parents of gay identified or trans identified individuals. But we're very much into empowering the local church to offer support for persons same-sex attracted or gay identified and 
and their loved ones. So we'll empower them to support, start those support groups and the how-tos of that. And they also can just contact me directly to get some consultation of how to respond or I need education on this issue. And I'll filter them websites, book resources, podcasts, mm-hmm. YouTube things, channels, and things like that that they can begin to educate themselves on that are very, very good. And I offer myself the ministry to to teach classes, whether mm-hmm. it be Sunday school classes, a four-week series, give testimony from a pulpit, do a half-a-day seminar. I'm open to that to begin to educate leadership in, in church of responding to the LGBTQ plus community with within their churches or within their communities. Amazing. That's so helpful. When you came and spoke to the training that I attended, one of the biggest things that stuck out to me, it was like, it just clicked for me. Mm. I was able to get so much of a better understanding is when you talked about rejections and deprivations. Uh, Um, So would you be able to speak to that a little bit more about mm. kind of how that, how that looks? And I know you you talked about it with your story a little bit, Mm -hmm. um, but how those two things can lead to pulling you in one direction or the other of, I need this, but I want this. And I'm afraid of that, mm-hmm. but I'm drawn to, to this. That ambivalence. That's mm-hmm. where we're talking there. Yeah, rejections and deprivations. You know, when someone is rejected or a part of them is rejected, they're feminine, they're masculine, their body and or they rejected themselves and saying, see, mine's not right. It's, I want it to be that way. I'm supposed to be that way. There's these rejections of self that they endure. And like, like God created us as, as humans is we have this reparative urge to be whole. Always constant. We're wanting to be whole in our bodies and our relationships and our relationship with ourselves, others, God. And so there's always this drive to prayer. That's where... There can be the deprivations because of the rejections, mm-hmm. the nutrients that are passed through the parent relationship, the, the, pe- the sibling relationship, the peer relationships, those groups. Because those don't happen, there can be deprivations. So part of becoming whole, perhaps, can be the fulfilling of those legitimate deprivations. Mm-hmm. They're not bad and wrong in and of themselves to connect with others, males in intimate, male to male, in intimacy, in love, in closeness. Um, that's legitimate. It's when it becomes eroticized mm-hmm. that it can be seen as problematic. Yeah. Or someone says, I, I don't want to go that way, even though I've eroticized them or learned to eroticize that, I want to make them more pure. Um, that's where the body of Christ can come in to um, fulfill those legitimate same-sex relationships and perhaps heal some of those rejections and fulfill some of those deprivations Yeah. so they can live out of their true identity and their true design. Would you be able to speak to uh, like the mother and the father in the household and how that affects you as you're like developmentally as you're growing up, maybe not having a father in the household mm-hmm. or not having a mother mm-hmm. in the household. How much of a role do the mother and father play in these deprivations or these rejections um, that would lead? Because I, you know, even friends I've talked to who have struggled with this before, they say, well, my my dad wasn't there or I never had a relationship with my mom. I was only you know, I only knew my dad or my aunt. Um, and so 
those that seems like a very very big piece the mother and the father in the home mm-hmm. and the family unit mm-hmm. um, that can lead to same sex attraction it could lead to a number of things it is the design and intent for the family for children to have a mom and a dad that is the top of the thing there mm-hmm. I don't want to get on a mom and dad bashing. I don't want this to sound like that. You know, they're somehow responsible or to blame or something like that. Because there are plenty of men and women who who didn't have their same-sex parent or an awful example of the same-sex parent or the opposite-sex parent that this did not affect their sexuality mm-hmm. or their gender identity. Right. I mean, I was primarily raised by my father, but same-sex attraction... I've dealt with other things, you know, there other you rejections, but same-sex attraction is is not is not one of them that I've personally dealt right. with. Right. And so there, there's where I go to, and you may recall this, but that big buffet of sin options, that one, we all are born with this sin orientation. Mm-hmm. Then it is... Um, the big buffet of sin options out there, the food, the money, the sex, the pride, you name it. But then there's the third component of chance choices and circumstances. And that's where I say those chance choices and circumstances can gear a person to one, two, or three of those buffet sin options. Whereas one, you can put that line of cocaine on the table and their heart starts racing and they start Mm -hmm. planning, how can I get it and how can I stop this and blah, blah, blah. And someone else says, that's disgusting. That's awful. Why do people do that? Why don't they just say no? And then someone could do that about the food table. We're going to the buffet thing. Another person goes, oh, no, those places are disgusting. That's awful. What do they do what they're doing to their bodies? And I can't, you know, they can't, they control themselves. And then you put the homosexual thing up on there too. And some people's heart races and they plan for it. And others are, this is disgusting. Mm-hmm. I say it's those chance choices and circumstances that gear someone towards that sin option or that sin option or that sin option. So... I tend to focus on the individual that's before me and how they perceived in or perceived or the reality of the situation that that may have influenced their choice to do the cocaine or to be the obese or to be the anorexic or to be the same sex or the fetish or the partialisms. They're the ones who filtered life in those situations that they have great control over to redecide how they reacted and how they responded to those original stimuli, original situations. That's so insightful, and that's so <laughs> helpful because I think it's amazing how you can see a a leader who's I mean this is just for example who's preaching or teaching and is saying hey you know you. you same-sex attracted, whatever it is, you got to get your life right, you're going mm. to hell. And mm. it's like, bro, you're 400 pounds. Yes, you know, right. You're a cheeseburger away from having a documentary about you on TLC follow you around. Like, don't point your finger at, uh, at these other shows. Right. And so it's so helpful for, for you to be able to give that example of these this buffet of, of sin choices or things that you can end up in from a deprivation or a rejection right. and how it really is all the same. Because one of the questions yes. that I had on here, which has kind of already been answered, is why has homosexuality seemed like the worst sin mm. of all time in the church when mm. we're not taking a deeper look at some of these other things mm. that are killing people, mm. literally killing people. Mm. 
And so um, that's so helpful to be able to hear that and to be able to... Good. I want to normalize it in that way. Not to legitimize it or approve, but to normalize it. Yes. And give compassion and so that we can all identify one another in the body of Christ, that we all come from different places and different woundedness and sins and we're pursuing all pursuing holiness and how to relate to each other um, in a wholesome way. Yes. It's the way God designed and intended. Um, two more things and then we will we'll land the plane. But um, you are now, you're married and you have a family. And so um, it's amazing to see this redemptive story of, mm-hmm. you know, just how God has brought you through mm-hmm. this process and healed mm-hmm. you and restored your life. Um, what is that like for you now? Do you feel like you, Mm. it was like a switch? Was it Mm. like, I am, Mm. I'm no longer attracted to men. I'm now only attracted to women. Mm. Um, what was that healing process like? Um, just so, I mean, anybody who might be listening who let's just say they are, married now and they've never even told anybody Mm. that this is a struggle that they have. I mean, Mm. they could be a man married to a woman, Mm -hmm. but still be attracted to, to other men. So what was that process like for you? Um, I'm still in process because I'm still pursuing Jesus and I live in this world and I live in this flesh and I live Mm -hmm. with the presence of the enemy in this world. So it's still a process. It was very gradual it was very painful at times. It was very lonely at times. And it was also very joyous at times. Mm-hmm. Very, very joyous at times. Um, but what it took first and foremost was a commitment to Jesus. Whether it was rich or poor, sickness or in health, um, had sex or never had sex again, um, had my legs or had no legs, I was committed to serving him and following him for the rest of my life. So it's that commitment of him to me, as it says in Philippians, he took hold of me. I took hold of him for that which he took hold of me. Mm-hmm. So he's holding on to me and I'm holding on him and we're just going this life together because I want to find out what he has for me. So first and foremost, that's commit that commitment. Then I also say... It's following biblical principles and, di- and directives as led by the Spirit of God. Mm-hmm. Jer, forgive this person. Jer, that is broken masculinity. You yeah. are not to emulate that. Jer, I gave you a unique reflection of masculinity to reflect. I want you to reflect that and don't reflect theirs. Um, Jer, you have fear of men and you have contempt of men and you have resentment of men. Jer, we need to work on those. Mm-hmm. We need to get rid of those. It gets rid of those. Jer, you're over-identifying with females. You need to move away from them. Mm-hmm. You need to get out of your comfort zone. Very much a process. It's a relational process. That's a, a changing my thinking process. That's a changing my feeling process. That's changing my behavior process. All of that goes into change. But I can truly say there was a point in my life where I grieved I would never be married to a woman and never have children. And I wept because I knew that was not possible Mm. to the place where on my wedding day and still from then, it's I'm in awe and in great gratitude of where he brought me from that place to now heterosexually identified, heterosexual feelings, heterosexual behaviors, in love with my wife, enjoy sex with my wife. And it's not as though none of that that I did or was done unto me never happened. Mm -hmm. 
that they can coexist to an extent. I'm not who I was, and I'm not who I'm going to be. Mm-hmm. I'm still in the process. As I've also said, um, I may not be Brad Pitt, but I'm light years away from pantyhose. You know? <laughs> so I'm not, you know, here, but you I'm not that there. tattooed. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's messy. Yeah. Wow. So I don't want to give this false picture that everything's, you know, 100% over with. I still have to contend with my flesh, mm-hmm. the world, and the devil. Well, that's like any struggle. I mean, that's there why the go. Bible talks about renewing your mind daily you daily renew your mind mm-hmm. just like with any anything that you've battled with and then are have recovered from or in recovery right. from it is a it is a constant renewal so right and there are so there helpful. are things like in all of our lives that oh I bet was an idea an issue in my life once but now it's dead oh that's an issue in my life and sometimes it pops its head up here and there and I have to I have to deal with it um, and then that's it. And others, it's like, oh, that's a that's a thing. I always need to be in my recovery group, or I always need to be in c- accountable to my family and my friends and get their support. We all have those things. Mm-hmm. I am grateful to God that in those early years of my walk with Him, He did a, a thorough and major cleaning of all aspects of my life, my relationships, my thinking, my feelings, my behaviors, the effects of my past, the direction of my future, my spiritual condition. He did major overall, but first and foremost, it was because I was committed to him as Mm -hmm. he was committed to me. And I placed myself in a local body that was healthy and good. Yes. Amazing. Um, The last question that I have for you is um, what... What would you say to somebody who's listening right now? And let's just say they've never told anybody about Mm. their struggle. They've never opened up about it. Um, Maybe they're a teenager, a young adult. Maybe they're Mm. a grown man, grown woman. Um, What would you say to them to encourage them? Because maybe there's a lot of fear there attached to how other people will think about them or how other people will view them. Um, but what would you say to someone who is just, they're just hiding and, and they do want, um, a different way of life. You know, Mm -hmm. they're not content, like what we talked about earlier, but Mm -hmm. they are, um, truly suffering Mm -hmm. and in their hiding. What what would you say? Yeah. Strongly encourage them that, like I said before, isolation and secrecy is the biggest killer. It gives power Mm -hmm. to whatever it is we're feel the most shame about or, um, unlovable about and for you for the person to gather up some courage to tell someone a trusted other and we call it we use the acronym safe mm-hmm. someone who's safe s spiritually mature a able to keep confidence keep your secrets um, f familiar with the process of sanctification that isn't just say this prayer and it's over with or it's done and e always encouraging always that is how we identify safe people to disclose to and then there's even levels of disclosure you know you watch that individual when when they hear when they talk about gay or uh, trans or something like that how do they talk about it may represent them as a safe person so we as the body of christ also want to watch our dialogue about these topics because there's people around us with the same sex attraction or dealing with trans issues that are looking for people to disclose to their safe that will support them. That is so helpful. Well, I don't think I have, I mean, I'm sure I have a million other questions, but to consolidate and I an talk episode. talk about a million things. Yes. 
Um, but thank you so much for being on today. Thank you for being vulnerable. Um, I believe that this episode is going to reach a lot of people. I believe it's going to help a lot of people. And so um, thank you so much for right. agreeing to be on today. So, And thank you for listening. And um, stay tuned for the next episode. Thanks for listening today. And if you'd like to be notified when a new episode is released, you can subscribe to this podcast and follow me on Instagram at Celeste underscore Ely.